Welcome to the Family Biz Show. According to Family Enterprise USA, family businesses in the U.S. account for over 64% of GDP and employ 62% of the workforce. In other words, they are the backbone of our economy. But success doesn't come easy. Only 13% are operating in the third generation. The Family Biz Show is here to help. Listen in to hear stories from other family businesses and industry thought leaders so that you and your family not only survive, but thrive. Welcome, everybody, to the Family Biz Show. I am your host, Michael Columbus, with Family Wealth and Legacy in Rochester, New York. And today I have my very favorite special guest, James Hughes, Jay Hughes, um, who, without Jay's writing, this podcast wouldn't exist. I wouldn't have um, the, I would not have been as curious about families and families in business. Um, and family wealth, uh, if it wasn't for having read Family Wealth, Keeping It in the Family so many years ago. So welcome, Jay. Thank you. Michael, this is a fun, fun opportunity. Thank you for inviting me. So today, you know, before we jump into today, one of the things I just, for people that don't know you, um, and because it is, you know, every podcast stands alone, tell us your background about how you started working with families. I just want to remind people so that they understand your connection and how this came about. Um, Michael, I was a young lawyer in 1967. Um, I'm not going to go into a long bio, I promise, but, um, and found myself um, in a law firm where my dad was the senior partner, one of them, and there were three departments. There was the commercial department, the litigation department, and the trust and states department. Since there was already nepotism by my joining that firm, uh, and he ran the commercial department, I'd done litigation. I didn't like it. So I went in the trust and states department and realized six months in that I probably would have left the law, but for the fact that the trust and states department meant I had my own clients six months into my profession. Individuals and families, I never looked back. Nice. And then there was a there was a a point in your career, if I remember correctly, where you spent an awful lot more time coaching families through yes. through the years. And what did what was that transition like? What why did you make that transition? Our dear friend, Matt Wesley, wrote a wonderful paper called Culture Eats Structure for Breakfast. Most young lawyers, Michael, uh, in the first well, 10, 15 years of their careers in the trust and states, or what we now call it private client department, uh, are learning their trade, and they do a lot of technical work, what we call structural work. Uh, I did that. I learned my uh, my lessons. and. But I wasn't very interested in it. What began to be clearer and clearer to me that was that the culture question was a family seeking to flourish. Was it enhancing the individual journeys of happiness of its members? Were all the boats rising? Whatever the uh, way, way we want to think about it, 
I thought this is really interesting. Whereas the technical side really didn't interest me at all. So I found myself further and further out <laughs> of the profession. Uh, not because I didn't love being a lawyer. I did. I'm a sixth generation lawyer in my family. But um, what I found was that more and more, instead of individual client or maybe a couple, whole families were reaching out to me, 20 people, 40 people, 50 people, um, sometimes 200 people even. And I thought this systems work is really interesting. How do you develop a system that supports 40 people's lives, uh, not financially, but emotionally? How do you grow their human and intellectual self, their social capacity, um, their spiritual capacity? So I just found myself one day discovering that as a lawyer in New York State, where you are, uh, I couldn't represent a family. I only could represent a person and then get waivers. Again, I don't want to get into the detail. Sure, right. But I dis discovered that day that the law left me. Mm. Because the law, the law didn't give me what my clients wanted from me. So I thought, well, okay, uh, I love this work. I love the idea of uh, a flourishing family being the first building block of a flourishing society, as Aristotle said uh, 2,400 years ago. I thought, I, I'm going to do that. So I still have my law license. Uh, I just don't practice law and haven't for a long time. Uh, I like being a lawyer. From the standpoint of trying to help grow uh, flourishing communities, which I think is lawyer's job. So in a nutshell, I found myself one day with the law leaving me. I love it. I love it. And I, you know, I haven't heard the story put that way. So that was, uh, I appreciate, appreciate it. And I'm glad I asked. So <laughs> today, you, you know, if we go to your website, um, and remind me the web address is at jameseehughes.com. Yes. com. yes. And there's reflections on there. And so That's today we're going to be talking about the reflections that you've had on the grandchild, grandparent philanthropy as an element in a system of family governance. And yes. I, I, I apologize, but I, I, I have kind of shortened it and I call it the, the grandparent grandchild philanthropy project. Um, and I, and I just, and then I think this is such a powerful piece that, and, and just everything in this paper resonated with me when I heard it. And when I've introduced it to people, many have said, oh, this is great. And I'll be on, you know, but many have said, this is great, but then they let it sit on the shelf and they forget to do anything with it. Or I, I've got another way of doing it. And when the first grandmother and grandfather started this project with their grandchildren, she took the white paper and I said, would you like you know any help? And she goes, nope, I got this. She was just so excited. And one of the things that she did, and I, you'll get a kick out of this, I want to share the, this right away, is the, she created the donor application fund, you know, the, the how they were going to do that. And her grandchildren at the time were seven and nine, and there was four of them, so two sevens and two nines from different 
kids. Um, and she did it with all of them. And she made them fill it out in crayon. She goes, I, she goes, I'm doing that part for me because I want to be able to look back. I want them to be in crayon. And so that I really smile. And just an amazing um, thing. So I'm, I'm ahead of myself because people don't understand what the um, grandchild, gr grandparent philanthropy work is. So let's let's dive into that. I guess, you know, how did this start for you? Where did this where did this come from? Well, Michael, I think when your first grandchild is born, um, the Hindus, a great teacher of mine, a Hindu teacher, um, said to me, Jay, when your first grandchild is born, you become free to spend the rest of your life in the way that you think best serves you because you've completed parenting you and other aspects. So when I had my first grandchild, I thought, well, I'm sort of free now. I, this my friend taught me this. I'm going to try it out. But what he didn't tell me was that, of course, grandparents and grandchildren have a natural affinity. Now, I, I'm sure that some people are going to be a little offended by what I'm going to say, but the Chinese have a proverb about this. And the Chinese proverb is that the grandparents and the grandchildren are the natural enemies of the parents. So I have said for years, when people ask me, well, how are you as a grandparent? I say, I spoil my grandchildren like hell. Spoil them like crazy. What? Yes, I said, the parents' job is to do whatever they I'm, but I'm going to just spoil them like crazy. Um, so in that spoiling process, very selfishly, this is, this is really a selfish grandfather. I put my hand up. I'm selfish. Um, I began to think, what would I like to know from them um, starting around the age of six? And I thought, well, how do you engage a grandchild in a conversation? That's a pretty important conversation uh, without it being heavy. Now, you don't want to do that. And so I thought, well, how can I do this? So then I had the idea. Well, suppose I asked them what they were interested in doing for somebody else. And what kind of an answer would I get? So I started essentially slowly asking them that question. If you, if you were going to do something for somebody else, what would you do? Who would you choose? What would you do? And I began to get better conversations with my grandchildren. So it wasn't the soccer game wasn't fine and the dance thing was fine or whatever the activities were, but it's, you know, that's really just surface. Mm -hmm. When you really ask a person with intention who loves you, so there's a, there's a connection, you're going to get some pretty good answers. So I began to think, wow, maybe there's something in this um, and, and a lot of the answers were philanthropic answers. That is, well, I want to help so-and-so. I, I love fellow man, Bill, I love anthropos, I love fellow man. Well, how can I help somebody? So then I thought, I wonder what it would be like for the group of grandchildren. My, they were then, let's say, about 12 to 6, 12 in that age range. 
to actually be in that conversation together with their grandmother and I. No parents, you notice. No parents. Sorry, not welcome. So I thought for one of my birthdays, I'd try this out. So I did. I said to uh, my grand, my children, and we were all gathering for a birthday, I said, I would like to have two hours with my grandchildren, just us. Also, one of my grandnieces was coming, so she came too. And, um, and they said, well, what are you going to do? You know, it was very anxious. I said, I'll tell you exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask them before they come to write a little paper about something they would like to do to get, make a gift to someone else and that they will go and visit that organization and then write a little paper as a, an application, as the lady that you were talking about. Uh, and of course, the, the mothers of the six-year-olds said, oh, I said the two sentences. But for the 12, actually it was also a 13-year-old, I said, I think I'd like a page. And I said, here's the deal. You come and make an application in front of your other the other grandchildren and the grandniece. Um, and uh, I'm pretty sure that we're all going to want to give something to that. And so I'll give an age-specific check. That's appropriate age-appropriate check. And I said, I'm also going to take that opportunity to tell some stories of mine that I would like them to know. Michael, that was one of the great birthdays of my whole life. I, I just... It was incredible fun. Now, everybody showed up with a little paper. And again, the sixes and sevens had a couple sentences. The twelves and thirteens had a page. They'd all gone to the organization. And, and you know, which is a really important thing. This is a strange thing I'm going to say, but most people don't know how to ask for something. And that slows down a lot of really good stuff because people say, oh, if I ask, I'm being selfish. If I ask, I'm I, I'm I'm not doing what my grandparents told me I should do. Be humble, and I mean that. I mean, yes, right. Keep keep a low profile, but you do need to learn to ask. So, hidden in this grandparent grandchild philanthropy, and in the process, is actually young children learning to ask for something in a very safe environment. And then after they asked, and of course, I gave a check to each one that was age appropriate. And, and by the way, I'm talking about $50 or $100. I'm not talking about some ridiculous sum. Sure. That was something that was really you know, $50, Grandpa. <gasps> really? Oh, wow. You know, <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, but then they had to take the check to the philanthropy. And Michael, the parents, of course, then the parents got involved. They thought this was, they then thought this was wonderful. And they would go with the child, the grandchild, to the philanthropy and actually see the executive director of some zoo. What, there were two zoos involved. I can't remember what all the things were now. But they actually shook hands with the executive director, presented the check, and had an experience of somebody saying to them, thank you. That's again in it's not being grandiose. No. no. It, it's it's learning to be in connection with human beings in the social uh context of doing good. And in the meantime, their grandmother and I just had so much fun. So that's interesting. So that it's helping me paint a, a picture and understand it. 
you so though you say the grandchildren and grandparents are the natural enemy of the parents you actually set the parents up to watch their kids do some really incredible things right and so the family that i was talking about they're in different states than grandma and grandpa sure sure and um the parents were blown away that when their nine-year-old you know son wanted to go to the it was a war aircraft war museum i'm i'm you know i'm just pulling sure. it out right. and he, you know when they visited it they same exact experience he was given a tour tell me why you need you know what are you looking for why right. do you need money that you know right you know? yes and so you're teaching things like um how to think for themselves mm -hmm. right critical yes. skills Yes. yes. The family right. that I talked about when they when the applications were made, she made one little change. They have a family meeting every year in the summer that all families come together, and right. the children had to make the the request in front of the whole family. Oh well, now that's that's a nice touch. Uh, except then that the parents get to have too much fun. Right. That's not fair. <laughs> You know, I, I I'm not so sure. I'm in. I'm teasing. Of course. of course, I think it's lovely. But you know, they it's but, this but is for the grandparents. Point, yeah, but when to your point, when you have enough grandchildren, then they're making that request in front of a big an audience. Yes, that's that right. Way. And that does exactly the same thing. Um, like I have two grandchildren myself. One is six, and we're just mm -hmm. going to be starting this this year. Um. And so, you know, there is nobody else besides him as he's going through this. Yes. So we're going to have to figure out oh, a way to, sure. to do well, that audience. Well, let me also say that if you have any grandnephews or grandnieces, don't leave them out. Got and it. there's a nice, there's another piece of this, Michael, that occurs to me as you were telling your story, which I love, is this. The grandchildren's generation are the first cousins. Hmm. Why is he saying that? Well, shirt sleeve to shirt sleeve proverbs hanging around. So, and that proverb either comes true or it doesn't in the grandchildren or first cousin. That's the same generation. Agreed. Just think for a moment if first cousins, we'll say that rather than grandchildren, grandchildren really, have an experience relatively young together that isn't just going and playing, which they have to do a little work together. Oh, are you building subversively their capacity to work together? They say, oh, my cousin Joe is interested in the zoo, and my cousin Sue is interested in Make-A-Wish Foundation. That was one of the things that the kids chose. And they actually went to the Make-A-Wish Foundation and sat in the chair where the child sits. It, it was... but. The point is that they didn't realize that they were learning to ask for something. No, there wasn't any pressure. Nobody was telling them that this is the lesson. And, and they didn't realize that they were hearing each other in a different setting mm. and doing something then together and supporting each other emotionally. So there's a lot of stuff in this that's very human about building community. Yeah. And, and you're right, you know, it's every society has some form of 
you know, shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves. And, and some people don't like to talk about it, but at the end of the day, what, that happens. It's, ha it's happened in my family. Me and my cousins are not as close because it wasn't intentional. Correct. And so That's... all you're saying is instead of allowing entropy to happen, be intentional about putting That's... those people together. Yes. And somebody has to be the ringmaster. And, and and who who better than the who better than the elder generation? So so much fun. I love that. Yeah. yeah. So now as your grandchildren got older, and you know, so we have level one, you know, that that's that's yes. 12 and under kind of you know age, but as they you know, now I'm I'm these grandchildren are moving in to that 12 to 18, 12 to yes. you know, what happened? What are you doing with them then? Well, we are, like all families, having it more difficult to get together because, again, of geographic dispersion. Um, on the other hand, um, Zoom, which we're essentially using today, is the best thing for families ever invented. Now, it's not nice what I'm about to say, but the family member who says, Oh, you know, it, it's just too hard to get there. I'm, I'd love to come. I love you, but it's just too hard to get there. Is dead on arrival with Zoom. You're stuck. You right. cannot say that you're not looking in your device 10 times a day and that you don't have an hour or two hours when you, to be on Zoom. Yeah. So what we're doing is we are not waiting for the next wedding, hopefully not a funeral. Um, we're not waiting till there's some large assembly. What we're doing is using Zoom on a continuing basis every three or four years to convene the group and do the same thing. Okay. Now, lots of people still haven't, I'm I'm surprised about this, Michael, but they really haven't understood how powerful Zoom is for getting rid of geography. So everybody understands Zoom is a communication advance, but it's really, I think you'd agree, just done away with geography. Look at us today. I'm in Aspen. You're in Rochester. I assume Christina's in Rochester, but, uh, who's helping us. But we have no sense any longer, thank goodness, that we can't just do something together because of geography. It's yeah. just gone. I, it's, I was, it's, it's amazing. I was just coaching oh. business there in Massachusetts. I had their leadership team and the CEO on the call with me. And when they were done, they're like, I can't believe that we did this much work and we were this productive in a Zoom meeting. And yet, if anything, People, well, because, and there's another element to it, but I would come back to the philanthropy for a minute. The other thing that's interesting about Zoom is you can actually see everybody face to face, even 30 people. Yeah. Whereas if you're sitting around a table, you can't see 10 of them. Oh, that's true. Right. Oh, no, this is enough. This is shh. Listen, tell all of So the answer to your question is that regardless of age, this process can be repeated. I wouldn't say it every year. I don't think so. But maybe every three or four years, it can be repeated. 
you are getting deeper uh, experience of the oldest ones. The youngest ones are, are not only participating, they're watching the older ones. They're getting a, a shared experience. Now, I am not suggesting that Zoom uh, isn't uh, is perfect. No, face-to-face -face when it's a possible, great. But what I'm really saying is don't wait to the grandparents that we're talking yeah. to today. Don't wait. Now, one more piece that we haven't really covered quite this much is the grandparents' opportunity to tell, to tell stories. Stories of philanthropy that the grandparents have participated in, um, particularly age-appropriate stories of what they did as children or teenagers themselves with their parents and grandparents is a wonderful way to tell stories. And also, it gives the grandchildren a sense, gosh, grandpa was 10 years old sometime. Really? <laughs> Isn't it? But you know, you know me at 60, you don't know I said we're 10. Yeah. It's very so, powerful. And, and 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 then there's that connection piece too. We connect through story yes. a, at a different level. Um, I remember sitting with my wife's father, uh, my wife's father, and he had a really interesting business and way before me, you know, they, he sold it when he was in his forties. And so I would just ask questions because I'm, you know, I'm very curious. Right. And, and I learned things that she had never known. And she's like, how did you know that about my father? Like, oh, well, I, I just asked. Yes. Yes. But, and you, well, you were curious, which was a great gift to him, but so this, these exchanges are incredibly important to knowing who one is. So I just find that this idea, very simple idea, doesn't require a lot of money, doesn't require a lot of organization. It just requires an invitation. When you're talking, let me go back to the grand, you know, your conversation the question you asked them to get to see to open their curiosity to open up their thinking what was that question again what would you like to do for someone else and what would you do and the second question is oh that's very interesting what will you do about it because we all know that the best of intentions don't get much done so it's important, if I could put it this way, and I often talk to my all-age clients about this, I, they will come and say, oh, Jay, I, I have a great idea. Okay. We play a little bit with it. And I say, so you have an aspiration, which has the word spirit in it. You notice that? Aspiration. And then I say, well, if you have an aspiration, you're birthing a dream, um, does it inspire you? Well, that's an interesting question. As we all dream every night, we have aspirations, but do they inspire us? So now it's still spirit, in spirit. And then, of course, for anything good to get done, there has to be a lot of perspiration. So just having the aspiration, that's good. Good to think about others and, and be connected. The inspiration is I want to do something. I want to make a gift. 
And then the perspiration is going out and figuring it out. Nice. And then doing it. So this is, um, you know, the, the, this these are basic things, Michael. There's nothing peculiar about this. There's nothing technical about it. No, that's the, that's the beautiful part about it. It's very simple. Just even at that level alone, it doesn't mean that families couldn't take it to another level. And we'll, I think I have some questions. Of course, that. of course. When through the years of doing this, when you introduce this to other families, yes. do you have any favorite stories of what you've heard from other families through the years? Well, take it from the grandparents side from the moment first, and because the my favorite stories, and there, there are numerous of them, is when usually the grandmother thinks this is a good idea. And the grandfather says he's never heard of it. He doesn't really know. Was it really seriously? Well, I do love my grand. Yeah, okay. So what story, darling, grandfather, are you going to tell? Well, I don't know. What do they want to know about me? You know, I'm 60 years old. And then I would say, coaching, your grandchildren want to know, I'm repeating what I said before, but on purpose, whether you were ever 10 years old. Really? Michael, I cannot tell you the extraordinary energy of love that comes when the grandfather and the grandmother are telling the grandchildren about something, let's say, that important in their lives when they were, let's say, 10, 11, 12 years old. That happens over and over and over again. I think the from the standpoint of the grandchildren or grandnephews and nieces, I, I, I see that first cousin group as a, a unit. Um, watching them watch each other, and very often I'm privileged, I am privileged uh, in the sense that some that I'm sometimes there in the background. Because people are a little anxious. You really sure about this? You know, they're a little anxious. Watching the grandchildren look at each other as they're talking, they will never not know. Sorry for double negative, but they will never not know that sibling, that grandchild, that first cousin, the way they did before that mm. person makes his or her presentation. That's powerful. Happens every time. Happens every time. So powerful. And I, and I no. love I love that you're doing this with them. And so you do get all of that joy yourself. And I, I, do. didn't, I didn't catch that part as I read the paper. So I'm so glad that I that we're having this conversation. Um, and, and I think the grandmother that I was talking about and the, and the grandfather is going to be like, Michael, why did you know <laughs> you robbed me of, of that? Course. Moment. <laughs> of course. What? Really? Yeah. Well, you know, sure. Oh, but but um, no, but, yeah. When, so one of the things in the paper that you talk about is as you have older children, you talk about an, an investment or administrative committee for the philanthropy. Yes. Can you share, you know, what are your thoughts on that? What is, help me to understand what that means. We're talking about if a family has a philanthropy themselves, is that what you, or like in the case of my client, they have a donor advised fund. Right, have. right, right. Um, the fun of philanthropy in growing social capital in the family. So when we hear the word social capital, we immediately think of philanthropy external. 
that's much too narrow to understand its benefit. So if there's a philanthropy or a donor advised fund, having everyone in the room of a certain age helping to make decisions about what's going to be done is the building of the internal social capital and joint decision-making system that every family needs. And unlike the normal decisions about the, let's say, financial capital of that family, this is a question of expression externally. Got it. How do we, there's a, so, but the in, not but, and the internal benefit of participation in the way we're talking about is priceless. You're, so, you're, you're just building social capital about your own system. So I'm, I want to get really specific for the family businesses that are listening to this. Sure. Um, you know, by having a, it does not, it does not have to be large, but having a small donor advised fund. Yes. Yes. Now, you now have a family philanthropy, you know, you, you have a right. place for that. And so what you're saying is when the kids are over the age of 12, now when the when the grandparents go to meet with their advisor at the at the community foundation right. where the donor right. advised fund is, they bring the grandchildren. Take them along, you bet. Or through Zoom. Or through Zoom. No, and I'm 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 pushing that because I don't want somebody to say, oh, well, it's too far. I can't get there. I'm too busy. It isn't true anymore. Correct. Correct. That, now, yeah. They may be too busy because they don't want to come. That's a different question, but you can't opt out on distance. Got it. And so now it, you, the grandparents should be looking for ways where the grandchildren are working together to make decisions yes. about the donor yes. advice fund or the yes. family philanthropy. Yes. It's okay to have conversations about investments, and it's oh, okay. sure it's all part of a business. Compounding interest, and yes, yes, and, yeah, yes. And now, yeah. And now again, go back to those leadership skills, those communication skills, the working together, teamwork skills, the right. being able to speak, being able to ask for things, having right. gratitude for giving. Correct. It's just you're this is and I this when I heard this when I this is what I call it is the sandbox for 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 entrepreneurship. Yeah, it is exactly that. It's exactly that. Now, Michael, I I wanted not to throw any cold water on this, but I do want to say one thing to our wonderful audience. Um, inadvertently, early on when I did this. Um, I was recommending it to a family I cared a lot about, and I thought it was a slam dunk. And a month later, the, the matriarch called me, and she was in tears. And she said, Jay, we had this idea. We loved it. My husband and I wanted to gather the grandchildren. And she said, I didn't realize that one of my daughters-in-law felt that we had not dealt properly with her not financially, but emotionally. So she said to us, not yet. So I do want to say to everybody who's listening, this is grounded in an invitation that you know the parents are going to be comfortable accepting. Yeah. So 
I've left the parents out. We laughed about the enemies and allies, natural allies. But we must be very conscious that not every family can use this if its own internal self is not pretty intact. Because it sounds pretty easy for the grandparents. But I thought, Michael, before we close, we ought to make sure that we've said, look, just hate, as my dad used to say, hasten slowly. Yeah. <laughs> just just be sure you that you've thought through the parents, not from an exclusion, but how do you include the parents because the parents are keen that this takes place? Isn't that an interesting way to look at it? Very. And if perchance you think that you're going to get a warm welcome to this and you don't, count your blessings because now you know you have an area that is within your family that you have the ability to to do something about it when you you know if you get that message that it's it's not welcome it's a gift it is a gift and it is one of the few times you might get essentially that cue and then you say wow I've got some work to do that I didn't know I had to do, or maybe I sensed it. But so I was, I'm just being careful because frankly, I was su- so surprised. Yeah. I just thought, Oh, this is easy. This is fine. Everybody, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll go dancing out into the, into the light, but no, not necessarily. So uh, I'll share my personal story so that people understand how this works. Um, one of the reasons that I'm so passionate about this work is because of my own family. Hmm. Having gone through a divorce and my oldest was um, 16 at the time and she was very upset about the divorce. And I totally understand. Very unaccepting of her stepmother when we got when I got remarried and it wasn't a fit and she made it very well known that she didn't really want anything to do with us. And so then she got married and, you know, shortly thereafter. And I didn't, I was walking on eggshells. My, my, you know, you know, on eggshells and we did this dance for way too long. Uh, I'm so afraid to to say this, but I'm going to just be, you know, upfront about it. It was, I last summer, we had the conversation. I entered the danger with my daughter and I said, I know we have a relationship that's unhealthy. Yes. I'd like to fix that. And the only way that I know to fix that is to listen to you. And I need you to know that I'm not going to judge anything that you say. I need to hear it the way you feel it. And, um, and then we'll see where we can go. And we both had a cry. She shared yep. some of the things that yep. were she was feeling. And it was real simple. At the end of the day, it was, you know, though she pushed away, she really would have liked it if we pulled her in. Of course. And yes. We missed that. Yes. It was just that, that it was so simple. So we've we've done some meetings with the therapist. Good. One meeting changed right. everything. Yep. And we have committed to the next 17 years being a thousand times better than the last. And Fabulous. So it works, but, you know, just I needed to enter the danger and it was scary to do that. Right. But 
giving her the space to listen. Yes. Meant a lot. And so go back to, you know, we want more from our grandchildren's conversations than fine, good. Exactly. Or like, like, like. No, please don't give me any likes. (laughs) Doing this work, you know, and asking those good questions and pulling that together really avoids those things. So you actually building relationships at a level that will be very, very powerful. I think so. Um, To pick up on that, and then perhaps we've done what we wanted to do today, I would say to our wonderful community to listening, families die not from heat, from fission. They die from inertia, cold. In this universe, there are three forces. Fission, too much heat, just like Goldilocks and the porridge. Inertia, too much cold, just like Goldilocks. And fusion, one plus one makes three. That's the mystery of our universe, and it's the porridge just right. Fission, I'm saying it a second time on purpose, is not the way most families end. Most families end by inertia. It's just too hard to get together. It's just too hard. It's just too hard. You feel the cold. This way of thinking that you've initiated so beautifully today, Michael, for our audience is the antidote to cold. Get some heat in that's controlled heat. And guess what? You get fusion. One plus one makes three. The miracle of our universe. So this is not a panacea. It's not perfect. You, you do need to look at the system and say, hey, are we, are we okay? Can we, can we do this? But I can assure people, if you've done that work carefully, look at the system, say, okay, yes, I think we can. Parents are in, say, gee, we'd love to come. No, you're not welcome, but that's okay. We trust you in the right sense. You're going to be bringing the kind of heat that's gentle, that's warm, that's constructive, and you're helping other people. Right. One of the things that I've learned about giving is that when we when we entertain the act of giving, when we go through that moment and give something away, especially, you know, if it was something that we earned ourselves, yes, right. so there, there might be some form of matching that you sure. might some of the kids, maybe we want them to earn. Absolutely. Something. Sure. Why not? Of course. When we are able to give it away, that allows our brain to think from a wealth perspective, to think from a growth perspective, to know that there's more available because all I have to do is, you know, if I, if I, if I can give it away and have gratitude in giving, mm-hmm. that makes me wealthy in, in, yes. in its mindset. Your heart grows. Yeah. Yes. I think that's, that's what this is all about. I love it. I love it. Jay, I, I thank you so much for your time and, and sharing the stories and, and and diving into the white paper to you know to give it a little bit more meat on the bone so to speak so to sure. speak and um i cannot wait to share this with every family that i meet <laughs> <laughs> well i think people are going to have some fun some good things are going to happen and um michael as always our partnership is so meaningful to me you're a wonderful partner and bringing these kinds of ideas forward is a, it's a blessing for both of us. So thank you very much. And Christina, who helped us 
Thank you, too. Thank you. Exactly. Thank you, Michael. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, this has been the Family Biz Show. I'm Michael Columbus uh, with Family Wealth and Legacy in Rochester, New York, and we look forward to having you on the next episode. Take care, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Family Biz Show. We appreciate your time and trust to deliver the best guests and most cutting edge information to help you maximize your family business. Being part of a family is tough. Add a business to that and it gets even tougher. Tune in next week as we strive to ease your journey with the Family Biz Show. The content presented is for informational and educational purposes. The information covered and posted are views and opinions of the guests and not necessarily those of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Michael Columbus is a registered representative of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker dealer, member SIPC, and registered investment advisor. Insurance offered through Lincoln Financial Affiliates and other fine companies. Family Wealth and Legacy LLC is not an affiliate of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice. You may want to consult a legal or tax advisor regarding any legal or tax information as it relates to your personal circumstances.